ladies and gentlemen, welcome to event number 38 of the Ledbury Poetry Festival. It's for me also to thank the Arts Council of England for making the festival uh, possible. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, I know some of you, and I know that perhaps one or two of you are having trouble <coughs> with your neighbours over the small hotel you're building in the back garden. Dispute res resolution is the answer. And there is surely no better team of solicitors <laughs> than our sponsors tonight, uh, <coughs> Harrison Clark Rickabees, who we are very pleased to welcome uh, on board the festival for the first time. I'm not going to tell you anything about Alexi Sale. He's done a lot in his life, and Jonathan's going to tell you about it. Jonathan himself was born in 1952 in Didcot, and he has worked for over 25 years. <laughs> he has worked for over 25 years in arts management and literature development. He has won an Eric Gregory Award. He's the co-founder of the Birmingham Literary Festival. He also runs Writing West Midlands. He has produced theatre poetry performances, and his eight radio plays have been broadcast by the BBC. He also has two collections of poetry. Uh, please welcome them both. Well, thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you, Peter, for that wonderful introduction to our guest tonight, Alexi Sale. Uh, we are, as you know, going to hear Alexi read some poems and to talk a bit about those poems and about poetry and quite possibly about some other things concerning life and matters of importance to us all. <laughs> um, I will say a little bit about Alexi Sale. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's no one in the room who doesn't know something about Alexi, haven't in some way come across his work from the 1980s onwards. Um, you'll know him as a stand-up comedian, an actor, a recording artist, a writer. Uh, he was born in Liverpool uh, to a communist family, uh, leading figure in the alternative comedy movement in the 1980s. Um, he's done lots and lots of writing uh, and, and clearly lots of reading as well. Uh, a lot of television and film work. Um, he's written short stories and memoirs. Um, he's, he's a very funny man. Uh, and I feel that I'm, I'm going to try and make uh, you make me laugh. But um, <laughs> we were talking earlier about, uh, uh, about how things come around full circle because one of the quotes I, I read uh, about Alexei was referencing uh, his work in the 1980s about how Americans use language differently and, and, and we have some... Do you want to say that little reference? Yeah, uh, exactly. You, uh, well, you, I can read it. You can I read mean, it. There you go. It's an old bit of material of mine, isn't it? If you travel to the States, they have a lot of different words that like, that, than like what we use. For <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> Straight off Wikipedia. Though. That's poor. If for, in, for instance, they say elevator, we say lift, they say drapes, we say curtains, they say president, we say seriously deranged git. <laughs> Somehow... Um... That's Apparently Donald Trump is not as nice as he looks. No, no. <laughs> okay, um, let's let's talk about poetry and perhaps indeed hear your your first poem. The first uh, poem yeah, well, read. I mean, just to I, I, I'm not I, I shouldn't try and pass myself off as um, any kind of expert on poetry. I just uh, I mean I like you know it's it's an interesting experience to um, come to festivals. Uh, I like. You know, they're, they're always uh, charming festivals in small towns and stuff, and it's uh, but it sometimes um, 
gets uh, doing comedy festivals and stuff can sometimes be a grind. We're talking about Ollie Double, who interviewed me in uh, Birmingham, uh, is somebody who's obsessed with like the ninth person on the bill at an alternative cabaret gig in 1979. You know, and it's, <laughs> it can, you know, kind of, well, you know, kind of tedious to sometimes go into the minutiae of comedy. So this is a nice um, change of pace for me to talk about poetry. I'm not um, in any way an expert, as I said, but there are, there are some poems that have affected me and, you know, we can talk about them as we go along. What, the first one, I think, is The, 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 the Lorca. Lorca. Yeah. We've got a, a house in... I've, lived, I've worked in Spain. I've done several... Um, terrible, terrible movies in Spain over the years. One a film is called, um, there used to be this like film guide, Leonard Malting's film guide, and it like be, you know, five stars, four stars. And I did this film uh, called Siesta, and his notation against that is bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just this terrible, t it's got a terrible, it's a film I did in Madrid. A terrible film uh, with an amazing cast. Uh, it's like, um, Martin Sheen, Grace Jones, um, Alan Barkin, Gabriel Byrne, uh, uh, Julian Sands, uh, Jodie Foster. It's just the most amazing film. And as, as they had their names taken off the poster, my name went <laughs> further and further up until it is, it's un film de Alexis Sale. It's, um, <laughs> if you ever get to, I think the, uh, the trailer is on YouTube. I don't know whether the movie is. It is the most terrible film. But um, so I did that, and then I did another film called Solar Babies, also in Spain, and then I did a film in the south of Spain uh, called Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is the only... One of the few decent films I've ever been in. Um, but it, it gave me a love of Spain. Uh, and so we bought a house in um, a small village uh, about 30 minutes south of Granada in, in, in Andalusia. The great uh, poet of, uh, of Andalusia and the, the, the Granada airport is named after, after is uh, Federico Garcia Lorca. He was a gay. Uh, he was murdered by the uh, Francoist forces. Granada was a very right-wing town. They, they took Granada very quickly, and he was murdered by Francoist forces at the start of the Civil War in 1936. But you still, you, you feel, I think, Lorca's presence there. Uh, you feel, you know, that his most famous uh, uh, play, by the Sangre Blood Wedding, it, it is still a land of, 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 of passion, of sex and death and... Um, Feuds, you know, vendettas and uh, complicated relationships. But also, uh, Goss, uh, Loco, you know, wrote very much about um, Andalusia. But this is a surprising poem, which I think, I'm not actually sure what it is uh, called, but it is um, extremely prescient, and um, I'll just read it rather than just the title. I realized that I had been murdered. They searched cafes, cemeteries, and churches. They opened barrels and cupboards. They plundered three skeletons to remove their gold teeth. They did not find me. They never found me. No, they never found me. Um, and, uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> I don't know how these things go, but seems appropriate. And his body was, has never been found, uh, uh, amazingly. So it's, it, I don't know whether it 
it's a coincidence or a vision. Mm. When, when did you come across that poem? I can't remember. I used it in a novel. I, I, I wrote a kind of uh, novella set called Mr. Roberts set in our part of Spain in about 2006, and I think I might have come across it then. But we've, we, we've visited... Um, he, he, his family had a, a summer house in a place called um, uh, Fuente Vaqueros, the, uh, and we've been there, and we've also been to the, the finca that they had, which is now being enveloped by a kind of shopping mall in uh, in central Granada. So we've been to his houses, and uh, I don't know. It's just I think his spirit is very alive in in in, in, um, in, in, in Granada, really. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not massively familiar with a lot of his other poetry, mm. but uh, you know, I've certainly I've seen Blood Wedding, and um, yeah. you know, yeah. yes. So that wasn't an early poem you came across in your life. It wasn't. No, that, no, it's quite recent. Can, can really. you remember when when you first came across poetry? Kind of poetry? Uh, I think probably mm. at school, school. Really, I mean, yeah. I've got I've not got avant garde. This is a story I was saving. This. I mean, I think the. I mean, poetry is really um, interesting, and it's. Yeah, I think it's very difficult. It's the distillation of the, the mm. best words. And I, I, used to t I used to teach occasionally on these things called Arvon courses, which yeah. are residential courses where people come for a week and um, you live with them and then teach them. And they said that the only time the, uh, the authors had uh, broken out into a fist fight was the poets. <laughs> the, the poets hated each other so much and were so... I don't know, so, I don't know why, probably because they were get, making so little money in their lives, yeah, partly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the poets were so, that they actually had a, a punch-up between them. I don't, I don't know poets well enough to know, know that, but it, it, obviously there is something about being a poet that engenders a kind of passion, and I suppose the, 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 that also that... Um, I mean, with comedy, you, you do spend a lot of time thinking of the the perfect phrase, the mm. perfect mm. Uh, gag, but I think with poetry you spend a lot of time thinking of the, yeah. the right, uh, the right word, and I think that probably drives you a but bit it, nuts, really. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Well, and and some, sometimes comedians can be nuts as well, can't they? But, no, it, never. <laughs> We're all fine. <laughs> maybe there is some similarity in the fact that every single word, every single pause. Yeah. And the poem is important, and every single word and pause yeah. in, in, a, in a comedy routine. The money's a lot better in comedy. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. But yeah. uh, uh, should we turn to your question? I guess the first time... Um, I mean, we, our, our house was very literate, but I think it was probably more fiction. But probably the first time I really encountered poetry was at school, and then that would, would, have, would have been, obviously, the... The, the, the World War One poets, Wilfred Owen, mm. Sassoon, um, <clears throat> and uh, you know those obviously those are very powerful poems. But also the sort of inter, the um, the interwar years, the poet Auden and Isherwood, uh, I think we, we did at school, and they also made a, a, a you know quite an impression on me really. But again, it's very conventional, isn't it? It's not it's not avant garde yeah. in, any, in in any sense really. But uh, uh, d d d yeah, I, I can remember obviously Dulce Decorum Decorumest and so yeah. on. The, the um, uh, you know particularly the poem and uh, poems of Wilfred Owen and uh, yeah. Yeah. So your second poem, um, Edwin Muir. Oh right. Okay. Yes. I will. This is gonna get. This is gonna get kind of embarrassing because okay. I um, con they asked me to contribute to an anthology for. Uh, Amnesty International, a poetry called Poems That 
make men make grown men cry or make men cry. And I ch this is a poem that I heard, I think, coming back from a gig or a book reading late one night on the radio on, on Radio Four. And it does. I'm already, I, I'm, I'm already crying thinking about it. It's called. <laughs> this is not. It's not going to be pleasant. This. We're going to go through something now. <laughs> Together, it's going to be, I, you know, you got to think, I saw him on the telly and he seems so tough, but he is, <laughs> is uh, weeping uh, uh, over this poem. It is, I mean, it's, I, I found it, it's an extraordinary poem. It's also a poem about um, catastrophe, a kind of unnamed catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's about, actually, it's a kind of about the, up, you know, if, 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 you know, if we do have... Um, Economic. If we do have environmental collapse, if uh, we don't listen to uh, Greta Thunberg or whatever, um, this is the kind of the upside of uh, how if we all or more, I suppose, if if, if Trump um, starts a nuclear war, uh, this is the positive side of it, kind of. Uh, yeah, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. Shall I just read it? Just read it, please. Uh, the horses by Edwin Muir. Barely a 12 month after the seven days war that put the world to sleep, late in the evening, the strange horses came. By then we had made our covenant with silence, but in the first few days it was so still. We listened to our breathing and we were afraid. On the second day, the radios failed. We turned the knobs, no answer. On the third day, a warship passed us, heading north, dead bodies piled on the deck. On the sixth day, a plane plunged over us into the sea. Thereafter, nothing. The radio's dumb. And still they stand in corners of our kitchens and stand, perhaps, turned on in a million rooms all over the world. But now, if they should speak, if on a sudden they should speak again, if on the stroke of noon a voice should speak, we would not listen. We would not let it bring that old bad world that swallowed its children quick at one great gulp. We would not have it again. Sometimes we think of the nations lying asleep, curled blindly in impenetrable sorrow. And then the thought confounds us with its strangeness. The tractors lie about our fields. At evening, they look like dank sea monsters, couched and waiting. We leave them where they are and let them rust. They'll moulder away and be like other loam. We make our oxen drag our rusty ploughs, long laid aside. We have gone back far past our father's land. And then, that evening, late in the summer, the strange horses came. We heard, this, is, this is worse than usual. We heard a distant tapping on the road, a deepened drum, deepening drumming. It stopped, went on again, and at the corner changed to hollow thunder. We saw the heads like a wild wave charging, and we were afraid. We had sold our horses in our father's time to buy new tractors. Now they were strange to us, as fabulous steeds set on an ancient shield. Our illustrations in a book of nights. We did not dare go near them. Yet they waited, stubborn and shy, as if they had been sent by an old command to find our whereabouts. And that long lost archaic 
companionship. In the first moment, we had never thought that they were creatures to be owned and used. Among them were some half a dozen cults dropped in some wilderness of the broken world. Yet new, as if they had come from their own Eden, since then they have pulled up, since then they have pulled our plows and borne our loads. But that free servitude still can pierce our hearts. Our life is changed, their coming, our beginning. And I don't know why that gets to me, that poem, or every time. But I think it's about animals. You know? <laughs> yeah. But the animals are, are the start of a new beginning, aren't they? Yeah. So the world has gone back, we've been forced to go back, and the only thing we know is the horses come back and we start to use them again as we used to. Does that, in your mind, is that going back to something? A kind your of personal yeah. history I or, think a, or your well, family no, history? Or? No, I think it's just going... I mean, it's... Uh, I think it's going back to a better relationship with the world, you know, to a yeah. to a relationship a, a, a relationship with animals that's more noble than we have. Really, yeah. I think you know, just a kind of you know, we I mean, we all we we play so fast and loose with the planet, really, and I mean, particularly with the, you know, with our animal companions, and um, it uh, you know, I've always been very involved in animal rights. People say to us animal rights why, uh, activists, why do you concentrate on fur rather than leather? And I always say, well, it's much easier to harass an old lady than a biker gang. I knew you'd make me But, uh, you know, it's, um, you know I, I, it's, a, it's a kind of dream, I think, of uh, just a better world, I think, in yeah. a way but achieved through catastrophes. Yeah, you know. yeah. Which is the only way. Sometimes I think that is the only way we're going we're gonna to learn, really, as human beings, is you know, via catastrophe. That, that image of the, of the uh, battleship mm. heading north, Amazing. which is sinister, and then just dead bodies. Like yeah. That. And you're not given any other detail. You no. just have to imagine what on earth has happened. Extraordinary. Where is it? It's yeah. a really, really wonderful piece mm. of writing. Yeah. I don't know much about him. He was Orcadian, wasn't he? He was from the Orcadian. Yes, Orkney, yes, so. there's him and uh, Mackay, yeah. Yeah. But do you feel in your, in your uh, reading and in your writing is the possibility of some grand destruction, is that haunting um, you now, increasingly? Well, so? yeah, well, sometimes, you know, <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it is, a, it is probably more, um, you know, more present now than it's been for a long time. Um, when, when, it doesn't, you, you know. when, when you were young, uh, growing up in a very left-wing family, and, and I grew up in a left-wing family as well, and there was certainly, up until a certain point, an idea that technology would provide the solutions. You know, yeah. If we had yeah. enough uh, you know, n uh, nuclear power stations, we would solve <laughs> all the problems. Yeah. Um, and no. a few battleships as well. And this is a, a, a yeah. alternative view, isn't it, that that isn't going to provide a solution? Yeah, I don't... I don't I, yes, I... Don't, I, I, I um, I mean, I don't know in the end, but I think the way we live now is, you know, kind of messed up, really. So, mm. I mean, it's... Um, uh, I, th I mean, I, I think that... I mean, I don't usually... Because uh, this is an unusual experience for me, because usually I 
dealing kind of cynicism and, you know, kind of negativity, really, is my stock in trade. But, I mean, uh, you know, that is probably partly. I think that, I mean, all left-wingers are kind of disappointed romantics to some extent, really. We, uh, that's another... Uh, another gag, but my mother, my mother was, you know, was very much a Stalinist. Uh, she never would admit that there was anything wrong with the, the experiments of the Soviet Union. You know, she would say uh, mistakes were made. You know, mistakes were made. Yeah, yeah. But she said you can't make an omelette without murdering forty million people. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, but the, you know that I mean, I mean, I always won. You know, my parents. They, they had this tremendous wish for a better world, and, but, and they, but they ended up by supporting Stalin, by supporting the Soviet Union. They made the world uh, worse, you know. Yeah. But um, that is still, I think that is still, in, in a sense, probably underneath what drives me. Is that, I mean, it's, it's funny, if we did have a better world, well, that'd be out of a job. But, yeah. um, and I think I'm probably going to be working for a few more years, yeah. But it, it, <laughs> there is that, I think underneath there is all my work, there is a kind of yearning for... for better behaviour. Mm. Yeah. Does that feed into your comedy as well? Is that yeah, yeah, no, it, it really it really does. I mean, it, it can, so the, the anger, the rage that I feel, the terrible things that I say about people, uh, particularly other comedians, um, <laughs> it comes from a kind of a disappointment, really. You know, it, underneath it comes, the rage comes from a kind of anger and disappointment that... Um, people can't be better, really, I think. Yeah. Is that true, Linda? Am I making that up? Am I talking crap? <laughs> <laughs> She's a comedian as well. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to pick up one other thing in that poem. Uh, there's a lovely moment talking about the radio and the radio yeah. going dead. And you said you heard this poem on the on radio, the ra driving yeah. home after a gig, presumably on a motorway, mm. darkness, two hours ahead of you. Yeah. And, and you, uh, growing up in an era when the radio was really important, I know they invented yeah. television, but, you know, it, how, how does radio fit in your life and... Do you want to say a little bit about radio? And yeah, radio well, um, it's funny because I, I never thought about other poems about radio. But yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the radio was obviously very important. Uh, you know, that's you'd listen to that kind of comedy on a on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. You know, the Navy Lark or Round the Horn. Obviously, was the most yeah. you know extraordinary kind. I mean, you didn't you know you didn't quite know what they were going on about really, but you knew there was something <laughs> something. Hello, I'm Julian. This is my friend Sunday. Father, the lally's on that Pallone and all that, and it, and um, uh, you know, so um, it was it was very the Clitheroe kid. It was a, it was a um, you know the radio I think was very important and also, but it's a, it's a kind of arcade. I mean, it's a kind of the radio was always a symbol of um, um, kind of archaic in a way. It felt old fashioned even in the. Also, my act of rebellion against my parents for a while is actually I, I went more left-wing than my parents for a while, and I became, I became a Maoist, you know, which is kind of... We'd have these arguments at the breakfast. Don't you call your mother a running dog reactionary, Alexi? <laughs> <laughs> well, she is, Dad. As Chairman Mao says, she's waving the red flag to defeat the red flag. But the only uh, European um, kind of state that was allied with China was um, Radio uh, Al was Albania, Albania yes. uh, which yeah. was also a Marxist-Leninist state. There's, um, uh, I, I, in my new series, I, I talk about this, the, the ruler of Albania, Enver Hoxha, made a speech. He, he always gave a new, uh, 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 an encouraging New Year's speech on New Year's Eve to his people. And he, he, one year he said, um, next year will be hard, harder than last year but not as hard as the next year. 
it's almost it's an not elect- rampant. You know, that's <laughs> way too encouraged the people, Emma. But also, the Radio Tirana that we used to listen to was stocked entirely, bizarrely, by New Zealanders. Who ended up in, and I don't know whether they were kind of trapped there or whether they, but they would talk about Chairman Mao's thought, (laughs) Chairman Mao, and uh, the revolutionary route. And so you'd tune into this kind of uh, Radio Toronto denouncing the, you know, the running dog capitalism of the Soviet Union. You thought, what the, how are you, what are you doing there? Where do you go? What do you, at night, you know? Yeah, do they lock you in a cell? Or, you know, I don't know. It was just bizarre, really. But that yeah. was the radio. That kind of power. This radio coming from, um, you know, mm. from the Balkans, kind of yeah. thing. Shortwave. Yeah. You know, it's very. Um, you know, it, it, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, everything is kind of easy these days, isn't it? To get. You know, it was. It was. You know, it was. It was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly in, in the poem we've just heard the the notion that the radio eventually just disappears and that's it. We're on our own. There's, yeah, there is no radio Tirana or anybody else. Nobody. And I'm I'm, just, I am try, I'm kind of trying to go off grid. I mean, I, I I have been obsessive. Like I I'm not really an addictive person, but I was kind of vaguely addicted to the Guardian online. I think it's all the bright colours and stuff. And I was <laughs> I was obsessive, and it was driving me nuts because it's full of shit. I, I hate fucking Guardian more than I hate any other in many ways. And it, and I, I just, it was driving me, and I was reading it, and so I've stopped, I'm now, I'd like to say, hi, hi I'm Alexi, I'm, uh, I'm three days off the Guardian now. Um, <laughs> thank you, yeah. It's, it's going okay, I feel a lot better. And not only, it's like the thing, I do a bit, but it's like, like occasionally when you buy a paper now, uh, you know, I don't very often, but when you buy a paper, I read an article, or I would read an article, and then immediately I'd look underneath it for the, for the, the kind of comments of 5,000 uninformed fucking idiots, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and just this, just this, what, ah, why do you say, why do you even get on your computer and say this garbage, you know, for like, and it's like, but I was reading it as well, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I, and I try, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm clean from that. Three days, yeah. three days sober, three days clean. You're never tempted, you're never tempted to join in. No, too, um, too I think that would be that yeah. would be that would be the end. I yeah. think for me, really, I'd never leave the house again. Really, I'd be there, <laughs> be there in my underpants. And, <laughs> you know, dear fishy face, you say. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting rather emotional. Yeah. Uh, I, yes, anyway, let, let's talk about the next poem. Yes. Which is go- we, we've not got many poems. I mean, no, we've only got This four. is a poetry festival, even so, yeah. we're, we're leaving them wanting more, is our yeah. plan. Yeah. So the next poem is, it's also by, uh, well, it's by another left winger. You've got Lorca. Every Muir, I suspect, wasn't, wasn't a, a, a fascist. And yeah. then... And the next guy Berthold, was well known. Bertolt Brecht. Brecht. Yes. Brecht was uh, very much a constant in our uh, family, really. I think probably when the first play I would, would have been taken to see by my parents at Liverpool's Unity Theatre was probably the Caucasian Chuck Circle. Um, and Brecht has always fascinated me. And I also, um, I mean, I think he's an interesting character. I also, I used to, in my stand-up act, my first, I think probably my first time, I used to do an impersonal impersonation of Bertolt Brecht. Uh, it's kind of like I used to do these weird impersonations like Mussolini is my most famous. Because I thought, you know, why do, you know, the Prime Minister or something, why not do like, these weird... So I used to do this bit about looking like East, an East German playwright. Um, but Brecht is a really interesting uh, character. I think he was... He was 
Well, I, well, I actually, I mean, he was a rascal. I think in many ways he espoused communism, but I think I don't know how deep it went in a way. But also, I was. Um, I mean, this has changed my view slightly. That uh, there was a, a woman who was doing PR for me, and I, I just a few years ago at the Edinburgh Festival, I talked about my love for Brecken, particularly the Thripney, Thripney, theater, uh, Thripney novel, opera. Thrip, Thripney opera. Yeah, sorry, and. Um, I said, oh, maybe we could do like a little show where I sing, you know, songs from the Thrimney Opera or Breck, you know, kind of cabaret songs. Anyway, she, she went away. When um, she came back with this play, which I'd sort of agreed to do some re kind of readings of, it, it turned into this feminist diatribe because apparently Brecht, according to new research, it, it's kind of, it was, was, he had this kind of stable of women like his wife and his girlfriends and stuff like that. And they wrote all the stuff. But he took the credit, uh, and I was. It was kind of a. <clears throat> but he was still a kind of. He was so he was the brand, but the, it was the women who he gave some of them credit. Uh, I think one of the women has got some credit Mom on the. Stephanie. Yeah. He has got credit on the Thrippany Opera and stuff, um, but he basically. I don't. I mean, do you go along with that theory of, of him? I think it's probably a bit much, but there's some. Well, uh, well, actually, Margarita Stefan, she was a poet, and they wrote poems to each other when they were having this affair, and used the poems as a way of having that affair without declaring it. Right. So she was known as a writer already. She, in a way, didn't need, you know, his brand. Yeah. On the other hand, he wrote a hell of a lot. I mean, his collected works is like, you know, three inches thick. So it's quite possible that somebody would have maybe just helped, or, or I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you talked about poets fighting. I mean, this could end up in a car park. Yes, bark. yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I wouldn't put my money on myself defending Bertolt Brecht in the car park. Um, uh, yeah. So we maybe have to discuss it later, but yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I think there's, but I think what, there's what probably What was your something. view? Did you think? I, I had no view. I think it sounded perfectly possible. He was certainly quite a, um, an opportunist in a way. I yeah. Think. But I like yeah. that about him, that he kind of exploited the communist system for his own ends and whoever whoever was writing it the, I think that the, 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 the work I mean the songs the songs he wrote with Kurt Vile particularly are extraordinarily powerful I use in my radio series I've done the opening um, the opening song about sandwich bars is a is a kind of Brecht pastiche and we also, we also in the first series we did a pastiche of Pirate Jenny uh, you know, of, of me, kind of. If anybody knows my show, they imagine me so much. But I, I do. I pirate Jenny is this waiter and waitress in a hotel, and she dreams of, of killing the customers. I love that line where she says they <laughs> clap them in irons and they drag each one to me, and they say which one, because it turns out she's like a pirate and uh, she rules the, um, and the, the pirates take over the town. They drag each, and they put each one in irons and they drag each one to me, and I say they say which one shall we kill, and I say oopla, all of them. <laughs> uh, and so I did this kind of pastiche where I run in the sandwich bar, but I dream of killing all the customers, uh, which I think a lot of people who live in shops probably think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But Brecht has always uh, has kind of been a. I uh, after I left art school, I was uh, I was kind of directionless really. But there was a a guy I was I was at school with. We'd been in the school play together. He was a couple of years older than me, and his parents were also in the Communist Party. And he was he was very much a communist himself. And he set out to he did he devised this kind of fringe show called About Poor BB, which was the songs and poems of Bertolt Brecht. Mm. And uh, he asked me to be in it in a very minor role. And that was my first experience of being a performer. Really. How yeah. old were you then? I would have been about twenty-five, something so like that. That feels really late 
to be a performer. I mean, no, yeah. you know, just because you seem so natural, I can't. I, I assume that you were, you know, telling jokes at twelve. No, I was a funny guy. You know, okay. I'm, a, yeah. I'm a funny guy. Yeah. I amuse you. What? I amuse you. But um, I'm your clown. But um, uh, I didn't think about doing it professionally because, you know, when you're like, especially when you work in class and that, you, you, the, the, entertain, any, the entertainment business seems like a kind of citadel and you don't yeah. know how to penetrate it. You know, you don't, you can't, mm. I couldn't find the door anywhere, you know. So, I mean, I did, um, no, I, 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 I never, I mean, yeah, apart from the school play, I never, mm. I don't know, I just never, I mean, I went to art school, but I, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't like the art world. Uh, I, I made like short films, but <coughs> again, nobody really saw them, and so I just couldn't find a, a, a route in really. But by doing um, about poor B, that was the beginning of um, my route to becoming a performer. I don't, I don't think it does you any harm not to, not to, to you know, find your metier until yeah. later in yeah. life. Really, yeah. I don't, it's not. And, and you, you, of course, you came from a, a great comedian city, so yeah. maybe that weighed down on you a bit—the fact that everyone's funny in Liverpool. Or, or they I don't think are. so. I think because I always knew I was—I mean, they were because I was funnier than them. Okay. So I was like, <laughs> of course. And because I would say, well, like a kid in Liverpool knows the way around a joke the way a kind of Mongolian kid knows their way around a stocky pony. You know, what I mean, it's like—is <laughs> that what just, they say? That's what I say anyway. And so, people in Liverpool are just. Um, you know, I've made that decision to be comical, and they are. Um, I mean, they, I mean, they, and it's, it's not. It's not necessary. I'll tell you. You know, it's not necessary. They try and sell it as kind of being friendly, but it's not really. There's a there's an actor called John Sim, whose big break was in a G Jimmy McGovern series yeah. called The Legs, and uh, just after The Legs came out, he was in a club in Liverpool. The bloke comes up to him and he goes, "Are you John Sim?" And he says, "Yeah." He says, "Were you in The Legs?" He says, yeah. And the bloke goes, so? <laughs> <laughs> and that's like Liverpool humour. It's funny, but it's also vicious, you know. But I, could, I knew that, so, but I knew I could kind of top whatever anybody did, I could uh, top. Another one, say another story. Just when I was on the telly, uh, me and Linda were on a train going up to Hull for some reason, and uh, there was these hard... Scousers, but really hard guys. You know, like a guy who's got like he's got like a shaved head, but thick glasses. You know, and you think yeah. he, you must be really tough. You know, you he just had this really threatening air. And he recognised me anyway. And he came over to me. He said, "Oh God," he says, "Lexi Searle." I'm like, <laughs> he says, "Yeah." He says, "Fucking," I'm saying, "My grandma loves you." I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the worst bit though. He says, "I was like, oh great." He says, "Yeah." Every time you come on the telly, she says, "I love that boy. He's getting paid for shite." <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I, I knew, you know, and so that I mean, that's my, that is my tradition. I mean, that's where I, that vicious side to Liverpool humour is is where I, you know, that's what I, what, that area that I inhabit really is that. But uh, yeah, you know. So okay, should we? Should yeah. We hear the, hear the so I, I, I actually looked for um, this was just, I didn't do it in the show, but I, I, this, and. Um, the translations that are on uh, the on Wikipedia wiki poems or whatever are awful, and in fact, a lot of I think I mean Brecht depends very much on translation, and there are some shockingly bad translations of of Brecht, and there are I saw a 
a production at the National Theatre at the Tripney Opera uh, a couple of years ago, which was dreadful. I don't really. And so you have to have a, a, a poet, really, I think, translating. And I don't know where... So this is not the translation that um, is on the internet, but I don't know whether Cliff, the director, did this himself or whether he... He took it from, it was a guy called John Bentley who did a lot of the uh, Brecht translations about, well, I don't know, like the court been, chalk yeah. and that, or not David Willis. No, is he? There's got David Constantine has done more, more recent ones. Yeah, I noticed he was yeah, talking. Yeah, I would have liked to go to that talk, actually. But uh, so anyway, this is my remembrance and of um, uh, this poem uh, to my radio by Bertolt Brecht. Oh, little box I carried in my flight, so as not to break the radio tubes held tight. From house to boat, from boat to train, so that my enemies could still address me. Victories, defeats for me. Oh, please do not fall silent suddenly. Mm. Very powerful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, in a way, that uh, the, the little box now, I think of that as being my internet router, you know? That's the little box that brings me daily, you know, victories for my enemies. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, it brings, you know, defeats for me. Yeah. Uh, but still, uh, you know, when, if it, we had the Guardian, yeah, but yeah, all those. Yeah. Have you have you had cause to to use poetry in other parts of your life as well as in your sort of professional life? I mean, ha I, I suppose I'm thinking of we're often called upon to bring some poetry out at, at, at funerals, weddings, things like that. Is that something you've ever I can't, to? you know, I can't never, I mean, like, I didn't speak at my mother's funeral because it would be me, it would be just another gig. And I, if I didn't get, if I didn't fucking kill it, I'd be really annoyed. <laughs> if somebody did better than me at my mother's funeral, I'd be, it would ruin my, it would have ruined my mother's funeral. Um, which is a kind of weird thought, but um, yeah, quite I, weird. so I, I, I've never I, because I, I'm so competitive as a performer that I, if I did something like a, a funeral or you yeah. know memorial service, I would just be, you know, I'd be obsessing about yeah. killing, smashing it, really. Yeah. Top of the bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 why is he? Uh, Alexis said also featuring his mother. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she did. She, yeah, she was always, yeah, she was always upstaging me. But um, was she, was she funny? Was she, was she, she was funny? kind of funny. Yeah, she could be witty, really. Yeah. In, uh, uh, I was, I told, I told this story before that, uh, that she came along when I was doing a, I was previewing my first volume of uh, memoirs, um, starting at my homework, and she came along to a, an art centre where I was doing a reading. And, Crosby in Liverpool, just outside Liverpool, she, she heckled me. <laughs> she shouted, lies, lies! <laughs> it's all lies! Uh, she was kind of, she could be kind of droll. Yeah. Mostly she was just fucking nuts, really. But, uh, okay. Yeah, she could be, she could be kind of witty, yeah. And was your dad? Yeah, he was yeah. funny, I think. I mean, yeah. he got ill quite early on. But, I mean, he was... People loved him, really. And he was he was very... He was the life and soul of the party. He would... Um, I think he was more the performer, really. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and people thought he was great, really. Yeah. So we've had the, we've had the Brecht, uh, another instance of the radio there. Um, we've got one more poem yes. to read, which you said... You want to say a bit about before you before you read it, or I forgot what it is. Oh it's, yeah, it's, no, this is yeah. well. This is yeah. Um, I mean, this I would. I've. This is actually in my. 
new series of Sandwich Bar, but, it, which, but it's true. It's, an, it's a thing that happened to us. Um, and it's, but so I will read the whole piece, including the poem, really. Uh, I think it's also a very... Well, we can talk about the poem later. I live, we, me and Linda, we, we now we live in an area of London called Bloomsbury. It's a very literary uh, area, Bloomsbury. The only pound shop in Bloomsbury sells the works of the US critic and poet Ezra Pound. LAUGHTER <laughs> uh, uh, um, we, we, lived, we lived in a small flat, and then we moved to a larger flat in... Uh, in so I'll read the bit anyway, and this, this has really happened. On the day me and Linda moved into our flat in Bloomsbury in the September of 1988, I went to the nearest shop to buy a carton of milk. The first inkling that this corner of the neighbourhood might be unusual came when I saw that the awning on the combined newsagent and supermarket, Manisha's Mini Mart, was emblazoned not with the usual logo of Pepsi, Benson and Hedges or Cadbury's Chocolate, but with that of the French daily newspaper Le Monde. <laughs> After taking the milk out of the fridge, I queued at the till to pay. Ahead of me was a cockney builder in paint-stained overalls, and behind me there was a tall, thin guy in black leathers with a full-face motorcycle helmet he hadn't bothered to remove. Uh, give us uh, 20 Benson and Edges, the cockney builder said to the Indian man behind the counter. And one of those tin openers, my last one just fell apart. Rather than handing over the tin opener, the shop owner said in a thoughtful voice, Ah, things fall apart. <laughs> now, isn't that the title of a novel by a Commonwealth author? <laughs> I can't quite recall his name at the moment. Behind me, the motorcyclist, his voice muffled by the full face, helmet said, Chinua Achebe! <laughs> Ah, yes, Chinua Achebe. That's right, mused the shop owner. Not to be outdone, I pipped up. Of course, it's a quote from W.B. Yeats' poem, The Second Coming. Then, in the middle of the tiny supermarket, in front of the chest freezer full of cornettos, I declaimed, Things fall apart, the centre cannot hold, Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. <laughs> I just wanted a new tin opener, the building. But again, I mean, people, I think, I don't know how we feel about the meaning of it, but it is, again, a, a kind of poem about... Well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a poem about now in many ways. I know it's kind of clichéd in a way, but I mean, the, the, you know, the best luck or conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity, I think, you know, very much describes our current uh, political uh, situation, mm. really. I, I mean, I don't know, I don't specifically know what, the, you know, what Yeats thought it was about, really, apart from just a kind of dystopian view of... Yeah. A yeah. kind of thing. When did you? How did you come across Yeats? Oh, no Seeing really. your no, again, I'm not. I, you know, I'm not particularly um, up on Yeats mm. really, but that poem is obviously, uh, you know, just. I mean, the fact Chinua Achebe chose it. It's one of those poems that yeah. you know gets used a lot, you know, for for for, for titles and stuff like that. And um, it, 
you know, it, it, rightly because it's it, tremendously powerful, I think. And it, le it lends itself to the claiming. Yes, as, as you I mean, I was, I was the, do, yeah, yes, yeah. I was doing my bad yeah. actor voice there, but... Um, um, one, yes. one poet we haven't spoken about is Shakespeare. And, and you, yes. you, we were talking earlier that you, you were in a, a Shakespeare production. We were, I was lamenting the fact that you weren't in more Shakespeare productions. Yeah. Let's say a little bit about your relationship but, yeah, with Yeah, well, obviously, with Shakespeare... Bar, so. I mean, Shakespeare... Uh, <laughs> well, several things, really, because one of the things I also talk about, my, about in my radio, um, the new radio series, is um, this idea, really, that people are often disenchanted with the democratic process because they haven't um, earned it, you know? Mm. And so there's this, you know, the, the, the Starship Trooper novels by Robert Heinlein, they posit this idea, which I think was also true in, um, in, in, in Greek society, that you couldn't vote unless you'd fought in the army. You know, you had to have earned, suffered to earn the franchise. And I said, well, that's obviously, that's obviously, um, you know, it doesn't work for our age. But maybe you could earn your voting rights by doing something unpleasant and painful in the more modern world. And one of the things would be to go and see six plays at Shakespeare's Globe. <laughs> <laughs> And then you would appreciate all the things about the modern world, like roofs, uh, <laughs> Seats, lighting, yeah. and comedy that made sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> nevertheless, Shakespeare, yeah, I mean, Shakespeare is, um, you know, I mean, it is extraordinary, the, uh, you know, the, the way that he seemed to understand every uh, human, you know, every... I'm a, you know, I mean, I'm very, I'm, not, I'm a, a big supporter of Jeremy Corbyn, and and one of the things that has shocked me is how, where the enemies come from, the the people who you would think would be your lifelong comrades of of, of Jeremy's, for instance. I mean, regardless of what you think, but uh, you know, pop up and and kind of turn against him, and people feel like like John Lansman, they've been close partners for years, and yet they are. Lansman seems to be kind of, you know, you know, Tom Watson, for instance, seems to be. I mean, seem, Tom Watson seems to embody Iago, really. I mean, if I was, if I was casting a, no, oh, thank you. I would have done the Corbyn stuff earlier if I'd known you were that. I, I was assuming you'd all be. Uh, oh, see, teach me to, uh, teach me to make assumptions. Well, um, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Tom Watson. You know, I mean, the, the treachery of the man. Uh, but it's, you know, I mean, I think that um, uh, Shakespeare foresaw that. For mm. so also the, you know, like in Iago, the kind of the, 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 the you can see the, the the rage and the kind of, uh, you know, that propels him. You know, and like Julius Caesar or something, the machinations of the yeah. kind of political elite. The, the Shakespeare is. Uh, you, you know, the most profound thinker of, of, of our age. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, mm. and it is, you know, it's sometimes hard to, I mean, so yeah, so I was in 1988, I was in the production of The Tempest, uh, and everybody always says, who are you, Caliban? <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was a, I play, it was actually, an, it was Jonathan Miller, and he, his idea was, which I think it was an idea he'd done before, that, that, um, the, the, the Shakespeare wrote it soon after Montaigne and the kind of discovery of the New World. And so the uh, Prospero and the Venetians are all white, but the islanders are all black. And so um, uh, Caliban was Rudolph Walker and um, Ariel was Cyril Henry. And um, uh, I played one of the drunken butler, Trinculo. And, uh, but Max von Sydow played um, Prospero. And Max von Sydow... He always acted like his, his entire family had been machine-gunned in front of him. 
five minutes. But he used to, for years, he used to send me a Christmas card. Um, it was like, with the address was like some lawyers in, in Stockholm, but he's like, Merry Christmas from Max von Sydow. <laughs> he, had a, he had a really terrible time, really, uh, that he, because he dried on the first night, because he was, you know, it's a, you know, in, ancient English yeah. is a, a very, yeah. di obviously difficult if you're Swedish, and so he, um, he had this terrible dry on the first night, never really recovered, so that hung over the production, really, and I never... I kind of never really wanted to do it. I, for a while, I thought I would just go and see um, Trinculos. Mm. You know, I'd go and see productions of The Tempest and then leave after Trinculo was last seen. Um, uh, but I never really... Uh, but I don't... Yeah, I mean, mm. I, I, but I am a huge... I mean, I am a, a massive... I think I do think Shakespeare is, you know, bestride. Mm. I mean, and was a poet as well, yeah. of course. Yeah, you know, I, I mean... He's the governor, really. Yes, and he's, he's writing... Just was made for speaking, and, and yeah, uh, no, maybe you, you were doing me some. I think it was some Henry V. You were doing it. Oh, for a mules of fire that would ascend the very heaven of invention, a kingdom for a stage, and horses to act, and monarchs to behold, a swelling scene. Then with the yeah, et cetera, et cetera. yes, that's what you're doing. Yeah, yes, yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it says it's more. Oh, you're course. too, you're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> um. We've, we've got uh, five minutes or so left, and I think there is a roving mic. Uh, yes, I can see it roving towards us. So if any uh, members of the public think they can upstage Alexi with a question, then we can see if that's going to yeah. happen. Or alternatively, we can have some very questions sort of humility and, and uh, good grace towards you. How, how about that? Should we see? Well, Would anybody like to ask a question or offer some praise? Somebody over there in the corner. It doesn't necessarily have to be about Shakespeare, but... Um, um, Hello. Is this on? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, uh, Alexa, you, you talked mm -hmm. about your, your influences, uh, Russian um, background. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it, what do you think of the absurdist writers like Daniel Calms and people like that? I <laughs> 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 just said that wasn't really very good. I don't really, I mean, I don't know much. To be honest, I don't know anything about them because I don't, I mean, the only. The only one, the only one I really know is is, is Gogol, really. Uh, so who who is this guy? He's <laughs> an absurdist um, who, who <laughs> well, his, his work's very very strange with with absurd endings. Uh, you see, um, I wouldn't if it's not you know. It, it's um, yeah. but he came out in in the Russian Revolution. It's quite interesting. Yeah, uh, that he was sat upon basically because of his yeah. an anarchist um, writing, really. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, in the Russian, I always think, when, when, when we were in our kind of Maoist group, I always thought each of us had a corollary in, in uh, uh, the, uh, the film of Dr. Zhivago, you know, like each of us was, and I'd be the anarchist who was in chains on the train and was about to be executed, because, you know, uh, or maybe I'd be Judy Christie. <laughs> Um, <laughs> maybe I'd be Javago, who can say? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, again, I mean, we, we haven't got time to talk about it, but I, I, I know more in the visual arts, constructivism and so on, that there was this tremendous flourishing of, of creativity in the revolution, and then, of course, Stalin completely suppressed it, you know, and that, and that, is, that is what tends to happen in, in, in revolutions, and um, that is, if we're ever going to have a better world, that's one of the things that we've, We've got to get over the way that um, you know the free thinkers, the people who create the revolution, are then the first ones to be sacrificed to it, and that's what happened with my parents, you know, generation, and and then the revolution 
ceases to be, you know, collapses into autocracy, really. So, uh, you know, we've got to find some way around that. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Uh, time for one or two more questions, if there are. There's a question down here at the, near the front. <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was really taken with your Edwin Muir mm. poem and your reaction to it. And does that always happen? Inevitably, always. I mean, I could do it again and I would cry as yeah, much yeah. the second time. <laughs> have, you, have you read On the Beach? Uh, the, uh, which Neville is... Shoot? Neville Shoot, yes. Because I have, when, yeah. I was, when I was 16, I read it and I was so frightened. Yeah. And when I saw the film, I was so frightened that I've been afraid ever since in the last sort of 59 years to read it again. <laughs> and I've never seen the film again. No. And that, that poem had, would have the same influence on me, I think. Yeah. In fact, it's happening to me now. <laughs> but I um, yeah. I'd go back and read Neville Shute now. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe you should. I, well, yeah, I mean, visions of, I think, you know, people do, I actually don't like, uh, you know, there are a lot of comedies about the end of the world and stuff, and I, I don't like them. They're frightening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there's one on Channel 4 called The End of the Fucking World, and I don't, yeah. I'm not watching that. Uh, uh, and there's a film with James Franco as well, where the world's ending, and I, I don't want to know. Um, uh, yeah, so now I've got, yeah, yes, yes mm. and no, no. Okay. Yes. Thank you for that question. I agree question. with yes. you, what you say. Um, time for one more question, comment. Uh, there's a, right down the middle uh, corridor there, just on the left. I haven't seen the road either. Apparently, that's terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's yeah. hear. I know of one right-wing comedian who's on the circuit at the moment. Why do you think alternative comedy has always been very left-wing? Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a puzzle, really, because I think... Uh, you know there is a there is a gap there for a kind of I guess I guess you get it in the states are more kind of nihilistic um, uh, com comedians who are not you know not progressive but here I don't know it, it, it's hard I mean I think that certainly I mean I think that I would say alternative comedians you know we 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 were able to succeed because coming from the left we had a kind of morality. Um, so, you know, we worried about, and that's why we did comedy that was non-sexist, non-racist. Uh, I do think, though, that all... I have, a, I have a kind of affection for any comedians because it's a, it's a horrible job in many ways. And we, we all go through the same indignities, the same humiliations. And so I, I think of any comedian as being... I think of us all as being soldiers in the same war. Obviously, Jim Davidson was in the Waffen SS. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is perhaps why there are no right-wing comedians. <laughs> there are souls apart from anything else. They're just, you know, you need to. I mean, you need either to not be an arsehole to be a successful comedian or be able to hide it, you know. And and I think the right-wing people can do neither. Is <laughs> my suspicion. Mm. Well. Thank you. That's, that's, thank you for that question and for that very profound answer. Um, we've, we've probably just about come, come to the end of the, the bit up here. Um, Alexi, uh, 
I'd like to thank you so much for, well, thank you. for not only uh, reading those poems, introducing us to Edwin Muir, which I've heard that poem once before, but really it's not terribly well known. And, and it will now forever be Alexei Zell's <laughs> poem in my mind. Um, uh, but seriously, you know, to see how important poetry can be to somebody, just arriving at it by chance as you did, hearing it at that moment, we should obviously open ourselves up to poetry and... That's partly why the Lebri Poetry Festival exists, so you can bump into poetry in, in a wonderful yes. location like this. So thank you very much for bringing the poems, for reading them to us, and for talking so beautifully and, and, and uh, movingly about everything around poetry and so many other subjects. It's been a real pleasure to have you here, and you've made me laugh a lot. Uh, but also, I'm going to go back to those poems as well. So would you please join me in thanking Alexi Sale.